know how it is. Hit it. Promise you swear, I swear. Spit it. Yo. Percocet. Miley Percocet. Percocet. Miley Percocet. Represent. Gotta represent. Chase a chick. Never chase a bitch. Mask on. Fuck it, mask on. Mask on. Fuck it, mask on. Hello and welcome to the Unmasked Podcast. This is at C. Pauline, and I am here with the lovely Akira and Miss Southern Cynic. Say hey, ladies. Hey, everybody. Hi. So we had our debut podcast, and I want to just say thank you for all of our returning listeners and hello to new listeners. So um, I think we've had fun this week with lots of fun tweeting back and forth um, with the ladies of the podcast and some of the folks who have listened, and I think we've gotten some positive feedback. So once again, thank you for listening, and we definitely would like to invite you to follow us on Twitter. And you can find us under Unmasked Podcast. So we are going to get into episode two, which is really part two of episode one. We're still working with the Unmasked um, title. And at the end of episode one, right before the intermission, we see we saw a conversation with Evil Core. They were being extorted for $5.9 million, And Scott has decided to step up to the plate to deliver the money. So our opening scene, we see Scott looking um, furatively around. He looked so pressed. Um, And it was really interesting, the music that's initially playing um, in the background, the title of that um, song is Game, Set, Match, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, So we see Scott, and he is about to deliver the ransom. Southern Cynic, what did you think about Scott waiting to deliver the ransom? I enjoyed that scene because, as I said in the last episode, I I just was waiting for Scott and his big come down. He stepped into that thinking that he was going to be in control of the whole situation. You know, they were telling him, you know, no, 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 don't open a bag, don't open a bag. He's going to do it anyway. And you could just see the slow decline of um, basically him losing his mask of control, the whole situation, everything coming to fruition that he was basically nothing but a pawn in mm-hmm. F game and really in E-Corp's game, too. They just threw him to the wolves, basically. <laughs> what did you think? What did you think, Akira? Um, definitely loved that scene. Um, like Southern Cynic said, it was it's always it's, it was always really interesting seeing um, Scott come down a peg, especially considering again in season one when he was able to. Um, just read into Tyrell, <laughs> and mm-hmm. even though I did enjoy that read, uh, <laughs> at the same time, for him to um, step up to the plate to de- um, to deliver the ransom and thinking that, once again, this is a situation where he's going to be in control, he's got this, um, and then, like um, Southern Center said, to be basically a pawn in F Society's 
um, scheme there for that matter. And just loving that scene, not just for the, you know, with the music and basically that message that it sends, um, especially considering what comes afterwards where they're trying to put on this show that everything is all right. We're on the, we're on the track here to getting everything backing up. But then you have a seat, the CTO, Scott Knowles, burning this money. Um, so it's kind of just like, well, just thinking what that might do to the public psyche. Um, just, again, one of my favorite scenes, and of course, epic music choices there for that scene. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, my big thing was you see Scott looking around and the fact that they forced him to put on that um, F Society mask, it was almost like they made him a member of their team and he was giving himself the finger when he burned that money. Um, so basically he just played himself in front of this huge crowd. But I have to say those people who were standing there with their phones up recording him burning that money, I was like, I wish I might have stood there and recorded. I can't believe that people weren't like, you know, stop dropping and rolling all over that money. <laughs> I mean, like, it was it was there for, like, long enough for you to be like, wait, those are rolls of $100 bills. Let mm-hmm. me get a stack. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing, too. Like, how is it that nobody is trying to get at this money? For you real. Know? Don't they they this is supposed to be New York. York. Don't they have studies where they have watched people, they set money out, you know, and people don't grab at it because in the back of their mind they have a sense that they're being watched, that it's all a setup. So I can imagine those people sitting there like, mm, no, I better not do that, but I'm going to record this and we're going to put this on YouTube. But had it yeah. been me, yep, it would have been a snatch and grab job. I would have been running down the street. You would have seen me. <laughs> yeah. But I think that also speaks to the nature of society where, you know, that need to document everything, um, yeah. you know, to, um, mm-hmm. to be, you know, to be the one kind of reporting it. Oh, wait, you know, this is me taking, you know, um, the new, you know, while news is happening, I'm on the scene first. Let me record it and document this all and put it up there for everybody to see. So that definitely also speaks to the name, speaks to what's going on with society because, I mean, we all know we've been in situations or seen, seen things where, Something goes down, you know somebody's going to pull out their phone and record. With the quickness. Well, I mean, even thinking that way, I was really surprised, like, when you see the crowd and you see Darlene's face in the crowd. I could see her wanting to see what he did, but the fact that she could have been captured on somebody's um, camera, I just thought that was really risky, a really risky move of her to do. And I was a little bit surprised when I saw her. Um, just out there, her face out there to be seen and captured. Knowing what we know later on, she wasn't as careful as she thought she was being. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, definitely. um, There's been other moments in season two where people were just thinking, um, yeah, Darlene, do you really think you want to be doing that? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we can definitely add this to the list of one of those moments. I mean, I understand her wanting to be there and seeing it happen, but at the same time, you know, you're taking a big risk putting yourself there, you know, just there, especially with people having their phones out and recording. Like, do you want, you know, do you want to get caught? 
Yeah, and the fact that she's not acting like the rest of the crowd is acting makes her stick out even more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm, questionable, questionable. But, Akira, you led into something we're going to talk about next. Um, in, like, the following scene, we see Philip meeting with um, folks um, from Capitol Hill. Basically, he's, he's in D.C. to ask for more money. Um, and one of the persons says, we just gave you $900 billion. How have you blown through that much money in like a month? And the fact that Scott has just set $5.9 million on fire, basically probably like the day before, and Philip still has the gall to come and ask for more money. Um, What did you think of that scene, Akira? Um. Basically, any scene where you have Philip Price, I am all over it because he is so, he's just so, as an actor, it's just so captivating watching him create this character. And, of course, he's the big dog that I ultimately want to see knocked down to the lowest level. Um, But, of course, you know, I know I'm going to have to wait, I'm going to have to wait a bit for that payoff, if it ever happens. But, um Mm -hmm. But it definitely speaks to his character that, you know, he he still thinks that he can come out of this. And he's continuing on with that um, mentality that he had um, when the hack initially happened. He was just, well, people did this. You know, I don't know why people are reacting so crazy. And then also for him to say, you know, with that speech um, that every day we con the American people into believing what they want. And, you know, like, you want me to resign. Like, do you know what that's going to do to that? You know, we all know that the con can't work without the confidence. So, um, you know, for, I mean, of course, just pure classic Philip Price, just, you know, for someone, for them to be telling him, you're going to have to resign. And then for him to turn it around and say, no, I'm not. Um, you're going to have to find a way to make this work or else. Because, you know, he... He knows the game. It's kind of, he, he's been in, he's been in it long, long enough to know how the game works. So he knows that if he goes, they lose as well. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like you really want to, you know, put that situation on me because if you stand to lose as much as I do, if not more. So yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. So that was that's was my thoughts on that scene right there. What did you think, Southern Cynic? I just have a love hate relationship with Philip. He he's the ultimate puppet master and I just don't know what his end game is between mm-hmm. him and you know the dark army and white rose and it seems like he knows what Elliot is up to. I don't I don't know, but he's just one of those guys where like Akira said, I want to see him fall, but there there is no redemption for him. But I love the way that he's just a cruel, power-hungry, manipulative ass, and he knows it. Yeah, and, pretty much. And pretty he, much throws yeah. it, he throws it in your face, and you're not going to do anything about it, and he knows that you're the weaker person, and he takes advantage of that. I, I like yeah. him, but, yeah, he's, he's, he's a scary guy, really. He, I mean, he seems so unfeeling, and I love that, like, the last thing he does is he tells that guy, wipe your damn mouth, <laughs> and then he walks out. <laughs> and then he walks out the room. 
I was like, oh, my God. But he's right. Like, he told them, he's like, is this what you're coming to me with? If this is the strongest argument that you have, then you should be the ones to resign. So basically, just like you said, he knew that he was the one with all of the power. And, you know, it reminded me of when we were kind of having our economic woes and we were talking about companies that were too big to fail. And that kind of feels like what he's trying to represent with e is that they're too big to fail. If they fail, we all fail. So you have to do whatever you can do to make us succeed. Um, and that whole speech about the con and the, the confidence man, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so where we are in our society that, you know, we have our con man and leading our government, basically. Excuse me if there are any Trump supporters out there, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so it's just like we're living what we're seeing somewhat um, in our everyday lives. And it, it is scary that you see these big, powerful men and they're just pulling strings and you don't know what to believe. And this is just a really good representation of, should I believe what I'm seeing? I don't know. Um, the scariest part is what's working behind the scenes, What what is unseen that is going on. I try on. not to think about that. Definitely. I still try not to think about that because it's really <laughs> scary to me. I just know it's probably not a woman. It has to be a man doing all this horrible stuff. Um, so let's, I hate to talk about this because this happens much later, but we have our, our sweet, innocent victim in Gideon who is just trying to have a drink and ends up getting shot by, I'm just going to call him a patriot, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Um, that scene was, I was not expecting that at all. Um, I know he's kind of been a scapegoat along with Tyrell, the way he's being portrayed in the media. Um, But when I watched it the first time, that was like the last thing that I was expecting to happen to Gideon. Um, What did you think when you saw that scene, Southern Cynic? I yelped a little bit. I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting either. And it, oh, poor Gideon. I know he's just like so he's innocent. He's a good guy, you know. He just wanted to do right. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want him to, you know, go and adopt a couple of babies, go get a house out in the country with white picket fence, and wouldn't never have that. No. Poor kitty. But but watching that scene, as soon as that guy said "crisis actor," I said, "Oh no, something mm-hmm. something horrible is about to happen." Because immediately I thought about these crazy people who believe what they believe about. Sandy Hook, you know, and other big events recently mm-hmm. of like a couple of years, they think it's all fake. It's all the government, you know, controlling things so they could control the narrative. And I was like, oh no, poor Gideon. I don't think he's going to make it out of this. But I, I wasn't expecting it like that. You know, I thought mm-hmm. maybe there'd be some kind of attempt later on. Maybe White Rose would take him out three or four episodes down. But oh, that's a sad end. A little sticky bar floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. What did yeah. you think, Akira? Um, I definitely had a hunch that something bad was going to happen as soon as the guy sat down. Um, I mean, Gideon, I love Gideon, um, but you pretty much knew from the minute, you know, 
you from I always feel like I'm always going back into season one, but basically that whole scene where um they're on uh, Elliot and Gideon are on the plane and he opens up to him and you just automatically know that this guy is just too good for this world that mm. um you know that it, you know he's not going to survive in this world uh, like this like this is the world the world the way that it is will swallow him up and spit him out and um I mean as much as that's the truth I mean I. I hated watching it, but at the same time, I understood why it had to happen because you're just like, yeah, I mean, you just did not expect Gideon to survive, um, survive this world. And, um, I mean, it still was a shock to watch it happen still because you're just, you know, on one hand, you're just, no, please, like, you know, like, he's like the one, uh, what do you want to call it? Like the one, um, I guess, piece of goodness still in and despite all this craziness, you know, that one piece of goodness that you want to hold on to, that you want to cling mm-hmm. on to, and now that's gone. So you're kind of just thinking, well, well, fuck, you know. Well, now yeah, what? basically, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like anything goes now. If it didn't before, anything goes now. Yeah, yes. that was that was crazy. Oh, poor Gideon. Rest in peace. We're going to pour one out for Gideon. Um, (laughs) So let's morph into um, Elliot's analog world. So we still see Elliot. He's working his routine. He's working his his regimen on a daily basis. And um, so we see the introduction of Ray with episode two. Elliot's watching basketball game. Ray rolls up with his. Well, actually, it starts out with an altercation with Leon and one of one of the guys playing basketball. And Ray rolls up with his dog Maxine, and um, basically talks this fight out of continuing. And now, looking back on it, it's so obvious, like the clues that they left for us about what's really going on with Elliot when you look at it again, the fact that Leon says, sir, to Ray, like he gives him this respect. Just the fact that Ray has a bloodhound as his dog, I think would have been a clue as to what his actual role is in um, Elliot's life. But I can just remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, it's the guy from the office. I love him. (laughs) Um, So I'm so excited, but then to see how he turns out to be, it was like, oh, this isn't the person I thought it was. So um, Ray basically rolls up on um, Elliot and propositions him to basically get back into that digital world. So Akira, what did you think when you saw Ray for the first time? When seeing Ray for the first time, um, I mean, with New characters in the world of Mr. Robot. Um, you're at first kind of just wondering, all right. You don't you don't automatically want to be like, all right, is this character real or not? And um, you know, when you see Ray and you see the um, the the way that everybody reacts around him, you know, obviously you can see that okay, this is a guy with some position of power, and mm-hmm. and you're just like, okay, well, let me just you know. Again, like it was like he was one of those characters that, for me, upon like first seeing him, I kind of just had to feel him out from you know the comfort of my home through the TV. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely figured that something was there, position of power, but also the fact that he wanted to use Elliot in some way, and you're just like, hmm, okay, like, is this going to be, you know, but then also knowing what we know now about that, you're like, okay, is this typical dirty? It's so weird talking about season two without trying to give, well, we already gave the sports the twist away. We already said, we said, if you're you're listening, (laughs) it will be spoiled. You were warned. Yeah, it will be. Hopefully you watched it already. Um, But yeah, but I just think that really with that particular scene and knowing what we know about Ray, like that was just one of the first of many, many spectacular layers to Ray. And again, Mm -hmm. just um, Craig Robinson laying it out right then and there um, to let people know that if you had any doubts about his character or whether or not he would be able to step into this role in this show, all doubts cast aside right then and there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Southern Cynic? When he rolled up, I immediately thought that, okay, this is the neighborhood crime boss, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we had Godfather situation going on here, and everybody respected him. All he had to do was say a couple of words, and people fell in line. And I missed all the clues the first time. With oh, all of course. The and um, you could see the guys who were on the bench, you know, as he started talking to Elliot, they kind of scattered and got out of the way. Plus just the mm-hmm. tone in which he was speaking to Elliot, you know, trying to talk to mm-hmm. him, I guess, on his level, where he was trying to think, you know, was Elliot's level, you know, not to rouse the, the inmates or anything. But mm-hmm. I, too, had my doubts when I heard the casting. I was very concerned that we were going to have Hot Tub Time Machine in Mr. Robot. But I'm so glad his his performance was really, you know, one of the highlights of the season. And I'm wondering if they're going to – did they recast him for three? I haven't seen that. Didn't he get – I don't want to say, but didn't he go away at the end of season three? Well, or in the you know, I mean, well, the middle of season two. Well, no, but they finally, like, kind of cleared up that whole, like, well, what exactly was his role within – now that the veil has been taken off and we actually see the reality for what it is. Yeah. Like, oh, this was his position. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so with that, but then also the fact that, you know, he ended up um, getting caught. Um, yeah. Um, it would be interesting to see if in any way they could bring him, you know, have his character come back. But I kind of figure it's probably more along the lines of a Fernando Vera that, you know, his, his role is probably done for. I mean, Mm-hmm. Along and, you know, there's some possible way, but yeah, I think it's along the lines of Fernando Varan. All right, that's it with Ray. Yeah, I was just one of back in some kind of interrogation scene or something, you know, maybe Dom's asking him some questions. Ooh, that would be Dom. interesting. What would he have to say about Elliot, you know? Mm-hmm. That would definitely be an interesting twist. Um, one of the things that bringing Ray in um, did for the story is that it is giving Elliot this in to get back um, in his digital world, to get out of the analog world. And as soon as Ray shows up, we see Mr. Robot pop up um, with Elliot's internal um, dialogue, just telling him, you know, just do it, just do it again. And this kind of leads to this confrontation once again between 
Elliot and Mr. Robot because the next time Elliot sees Ray, he realizes that Mr. Robot had a conversation with Ray and that he's missing time. Um, And that leads to this confrontation in Elliot's cell with, um, once again, Mr. Robot holding that gun to Elliot's head. But this time, Elliot responds with this maniacal, scary, (laughs) just completely unnerved me laughter. And to myself, I said, I think Elliot won this round between he and Mr. Robot. I think he might have won that round. What did you think about that scene in the cell with with he and Mr. Robot, Southern Cynic? I think Elliot knew he won it. I mean, he peaced out. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that part. He's like, I have to go to my church group. (laughs) But it's it's so hard watching Elliot struggle trying to figure out a way Mm. to want Mr. Robot and take control back of his own mind, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I just enjoyed that scene so much. It was unnerving, but you know me, I, I love my pocket prints. Anything he does. I know you love your pocket prints. Yeah. But I, I hate it when he laughs because it makes me feel like so uncomfortable. <laughs> terrible. What did you think of Kira? Uh, well, with that scene, I mean, you're just, I mean, you're just at that point wondering, okay, has Elliot decided to go off the deep end right then and there? Um, I mean, with that scene, I with the laughter in itself, I didn't know if I wanted to laugh with him or just start crying because you're just mm-hmm. like, you know, what's the, you know, what's going on here? But then at the same time, um, he's able to take he's able to take control of that particular situation and you know like mother and then as mother said peace out um and yeah he definitely won that battle but again that was just one battle within the many numerous ongoing battles to come in this war between him and mr robot um but yeah i mean it definitely shows him gaining more control you know with him saying you know you can stick that gun in my face and shoot me as many times as you want you know, keep shooting me until you tell me what I want. I'm not going to do, you know, you want something from me and I'm not going to do it unless you tell me what I want. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you got some, what, yeah. which is basically what happened to Tyrell. It's right. what so he wants to know. Yeah. So they kind of just realized that, you know, the other has something that the other wants and, you know, and they're not going to, neither one of them is going to get that unless, one of them just caves in. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, in this, but in this situation, it's Elliot who wants Mr. Robot to cave because Elliot has no intention initially, at least into um, getting back, getting back on the terminal and everything. It's just, no, tell me, you know, you, t- you know, you first, you tell me what I want to know. Otherwise we're just, otherwise you just gonna have to keep shooting me in the head because yeah. yeah. And basically, Mr. Robot delivers because we see in the last um, shot of the episode, Elliot kind of comes to himself and he's on the phone and the person on the other end, we're assuming, is Tyrell. So Mr. Robot somewhat gave Elliot what he wanted. I'm going to say something unpopular right now, ladies, and you can you can beat me up for it. I 
this whole second season, I really did not care about Tyrell. I did not care where Tyrell was, wherever he was. I wanted him to stay there. I don't get the fascination with Tyrell. I, I'm I with just, you. I, I, oh, it's, it's not, not just me. <laughs> it's not that I didn't care. It's that, and I hate to harp on the fans, it's just every episode, everybody wanted Tyrell to be in the next episode. So just let the story progress. You're going to get Tyrell. He's going to come. He's going to show up. Just wait for it. Uh-huh. Having him pop up right then and there in the first and second or the third episode, to me, that that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I'm not mad at you. Okay. I'm not mad at the fans either, but it, it was that whole thing. It was the whole season. That, that's all I was saying online. Every time you jump on a live tweet, oh, where's Tyrell? Mm-hmm. You know, bring that Tyrell. I'm just here to see Tyrell. Oh, well, there's you know, a whole bunch of other stories going on, you know, top of will come eventually. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much, I mean, what I could say for the show as well, um, that everything in the show um, is done to where it makes sense, you know, and, and again, I can understand that it would not, I mean, it had, you know, that's the only way that Tyrell could have could have appeared. I mean, especially knowing what we know with the twist. I mean, did you really expect Tyrell to just pop up at the house? Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> especially not the big house. No, not, not big mama's house. <laughs> but, but also, I mean, but again, it just goes to, it just goes into how, um, how this show is just always able to just give you little tidbits and just keep you like keep you hanging on to that and making you want it more. So yeah, I mean, I could understand I could understand it from both sides, um, but also at the same time, again, like it had to make sense to the story. Like again, mm-hmm. with the twist, did you really expect him to pop up right then and there? You know, that wasn't going to work. Um, so you had to get these little, um, and also the guy is the most. Even before the total twist reveal, the guy was the most wanted person, so he's not going to be out and about for the most part. So you had to get those little um, those little indicators that he was still around, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was the phone call with Elliot, whether it was him sending gifts to Joanna, um, little trink- uh, trinkets and letting her know that, yeah, I'm still around, I'm doing what needs to be done. And, you know, that's just that's just how I had to roll. So, you know, I'm not mad at Sam for doing his thing. You know, I'm always like, yeah, you know, Sam, do you, do you, because, you know, only you That's can do true. it. That's true. Yeah. I trust the ride that Sam is taking us on. I, I just mm-hmm. want to sit back. I, I yeah. agree. That's why I just watch the show. I don't try to figure out the show. I just experience the show because it is above my level. <laughs> But speaking of Joanna, honey, let's talk about Joanna and this nice play. Miss um, mm. Southern Cynic, I'm just going to turn this over to you at this point. Tell me your thoughts when you were sitting at home and that scene opens with the knife and the ice and then him running the knife down her body. Thoughts, ma'am. 
Well, <coughs> the tenth time of rewinding it and going back over it again and again, and, you know, lighting a couple of candles and having a moment to myself. <laughs> I enjoyed that. See, I love Joanna so much, and and I just love the way that she lets these men think that they are in control of her or whatever situation they're involved in when she is the one pulling the string. Oh, Joanna. What's her little boyfriend's name? I forget that guy's name. But I don't even know. I don't even know. He's a throwaway. And she's yeah. she exactly like that. <laughs> oh, but, he probably doesn't even know his name. <laughs> <laughs> guy. So, but um, I, I hope in season three we get a lot more of Joanna because I want to know more about her background story, mm-hmm. how she get to where she is, you know, okay. using her beauty and her wiles to just control all of these people around her. And they don't even realize that that's what's happening. Except maybe Tyrell, he's in on it. But I, I think Tyrell I think just, totally does. I think Tyrell I, totally <laughs> gets that she's the one in control. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and what is her end goal, you know? Was she the one who masterminded all of this for Tyrell? Is she getting direction from somebody else to do it? I, I, mean, I have oh. those questions, too, this week. Like, how much does she know? Because it seemed like in season one, she was really the one manipulating Tyrell. She kind of sent, she sent him to that nightclub um, to get that information. She sent him in that bathroom with Scott's wife, like, she is definitely willing for her husband to do whatever it takes to achieve their goals. Um, I mean, any woman who breaks her own water in the kitchen, <laughs> I will never forget that scene. What a pickle I, fork. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I can never forget it. I can never forget it. She is like the goat. Um, Akira, what did you what did you think of this scene with Joanna? Oh, well, with Joanna, um, Joanna and Derek. Um, Derek, Derek, thank you. Of course, you know his name. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I remember reading the season two news about Derek, and then the whole well, you know, Joanna's going to have this, and you know, I, I guess um, if I can remember, I think they pegged it as a love interest or whatever. Or just the guy that she's seen while Tyrell is away. Um, I mean, I'm like, it's definitely, you know, definitely obvious that this guy cannot feel Tyrell's shoes. It's just Uh a stand-in for the time being. Um, I mean, especially with that scene where he's like, she's like, Anne, Anne, like, okay, come on, what's she supposed to do? Um, But... um, yeah, and then I mean, definitely with the role, like with the roles of Joanna and control. Um, I remember, um, particularly with any B, uh, BDSM, um, Sam saying in one of the uh, one of one of his commentaries, saying that a lot of people tend to think that the role of the submissive is the one that is giving up control, when actually it's the other way around. You know, the submissive does have the control in that situation as well. So, again, it's just another way for Joanna to maintain control of what a, of the situation that she is in. And 
I love trying to figure her out. And um, hats off to Stephanie for her performance. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, with every with with every scene, I mean, it's just like an un, like just like an onion, like slowly getting peeled, like slowly and slowly. And then I'm, but I'm, but I'm still left wanting to know more. I'm like, wait a minute, I still have more questions about this character. I mean, I would say that so far she's the I'm, one character that just boggles my mind trying to figure out. But I love that because um, really with the with this show, I'm loving the fact I mean, character analysis is one of my favorite things to do. So that's another one of the reasons why I love this show. Um, but yeah, um, it was. I mean, it was a fun scene to watch. Of course, Joanna being Joanna, um, you know, Joanna has to spice it up every now and then. It can't. It can't be all gloom and doom. So, so we gotta have Joanna, you know, mixing it up a bit. She's just trying to. She, jo, for me, when I saw that, I'm like, Joanna is just trying to get her needs met. And Derek, mm-hmm. thank you for telling us names. He's trying to have a relationship. Yes, <laughs> and, and she's Joanna, like, uh, uh-uh. she's like. I, I'm not going to go down to the bar and have a drink with you. It's like, we can't be seen together. He's trying to, like, bow up and stuff at folks. And it's like, dude, stay in your place. Just mm-hmm. do what you're supposed to do and do it right and leave. That's all you're here for. Nothing more. And he's just not getting it. He's just not getting it at all. Mm-hmm. He should feel. He should just be privileged. He should just feel privileged. To be in that position, honestly. But it's just so interesting watching the dynamic between the two of them because he's like a little lost puppy around her, though. Yes. With the whole, like, should I do this? You know, do you want to go do this? And she's like, no, you know, we're not supposed to be seen together and all that stuff. Um, Oh, no, I love when she said, when he was like, was I better this time? And she goes, you're ruining it. You're spoiling it. (laughs) You're spoiling it. Well, did anybody get the sense that? She was using him in more than one way that this was all going to be a setup. Like, what, why was she with him? Mm -hmm. If she wanted somebody on her level, she could snap her fingers and have them. Why him? That Mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. Dude, bro. You know, like, I just... When, when he came into the scene, I think maybe by the next episode he was in. I was like, no, she she she's working some kind of angle here, and I I gotta connect the dots. What's mm-hmm. what's her end goal using this guy? Because you could definitely tell she was using him, and it was not because he could, you know. No, it definitely out. was not because he could. Yeah, it definitely was definitely. not. Like Joanna is one of those characters that. I perceive her as already having the end game, like every, like every single step and mm-hmm. leading up to the end game already figured out. Um, mm-hmm. And we're all just trying to play catch up. That's pretty much how I view it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, just watching her with Derek and just setting everything up and it's like, okay, there is an end game here. We're not sure exactly what it is yet, but yeah, Joanna knows and she knows exactly how to play the situation depending on what's happening and so yeah i mean i'm just really curious to watch how this end gets to watch what the outcome is going to be for for all of this especially with um the final scene that we have between the two of them in season two so Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It is is going to be something to watch. Um, But then we also, you alluded to this, Akira. um, Joanna returns home with her baby um, in her stroller. I don't know who was watching the baby while she was getting her groove on. But um, she returns home to a package on her doorstep. It is a music box. And she is searching the music box and turns it over, and there is a huge-ass phone taped to the bottom of the music box. And I kind of said to myself, is this really hiding if she only had to turn it over? But um, we see Joanna waiting and waiting for the phone, and, of course, it rings as soon as she walks away. And we're assuming that um, the phone is from Tyrell and that he is the one calling her. Did you guys have any other thoughts when you initially saw that scene? What did you think, Akira? Um, and with that scene, I definitely thought that, oh, well, this is probably Tyrell's way of keeping in touch with her, um, letting her know that he's out there doing doing his thing, um, continuing on. Because she, I mean, leaving season one, she told him that, you know what, if you want to be back in this family, you'll fix it, whatever, whatever mess mm-hmm. you, got, you, know, you got yourself into, you better fix it. So, you know, again, she, you know, pull, you know, pulling them in in the reins there, being like, um, yeah, we had a, it's almost like we had a plan. You, you went left, and now you got to fix it. So, um, yeah, I definitely thought that that was um, Tyrell keeping in touch with her, um, or at least trying to to let her know that, yeah, he is still around. He is working to do what needs to be done, and. Um, but also at the same time, your uh, part of you does wonder, okay, who else could possibly be trying to mm-hmm. contact her if not Tyrell? Because exactly. you know, I mean, because I, mean, I mean, one thing with Mister Robot, I mean, sometimes I try not to go for the most obvious answer, and then mm-hmm. in this, and in this situation, I kind of feel like Tyrell calling her would be the most obvious answer. But that's that's probably me just overworking my brain with the show. Yeah. 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 What did you think, Southern Cynic? Yeah, I I kind of got swept up in some fan theories that thought that maybe it was some kind of setup from Elliot and Darlene, and I couldn't. Why mm. would they even bother with that? And the only thing that made sense to me is that even in season one, I don't think I ever saw Tyrell give Joanna anything. So it's like, okay, would she be expecting a big gift like that from him? But yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Like, what's the significance of a music box? Like, why a music box? You know, uh, and and I just wasn't expecting it from him, but mm-hmm. um, definitely got intriguing as the season went on. Season definitely. Um, so let's move on to kind of the other two ladies that we saw um, in episode two. We got to catch up with Angela. Um, who is apparently dead inside now, and we they snuffed the light out of her evil corpse. <laughs> I mean, when you look at her face and the lack of affect that you see with her, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it was jarring to me. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like between... Because we have to remember, it's only been a month. For In their world, it's only been a month. So within mm-hmm. this month, Angela has gone from 
you know, I hate evil core, um, kind of unsure in her position at all safe. I mean, when she was at all safe, she couldn't even run a meeting without being dismissed to this kind of badass woman who is making these power deals for these interviews, um, really kind of unfeeling the way she's presenting herself in season two and moving and living in this beautiful apartment. And it seems like a lot has happened to Angela within this month. What did you, what did you think seeing her in this episode, Southern Cynic? I just got the sense that um, it was like a grass is, the grass is always greener on the other side mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, she, this is, where she wanted to be. She's at the top, finally. She's making her six figures. She has this beautiful apartment, but it's not enough to wipe away watching a man blow his brains out all mm-hmm. over your shoes and, um, you know, dismissing uh, the fact that the company you're working for killed your mother and that yeah. basically, you know, wiping away their sins to take a job with them. It's I don't see how she does it besides those crazy CDs she's listening to every night, trying to psych herself up, basically just to get out of bed and move on and and do what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand how she could deal with that stress every day besides snapping at her coworkers. And did she have a scene? I'm sorry. I lost my episode when I was trying to watch it today. With Price, was that the first scene that they had with this uh, episode when she came mm-hmm. in? And painting? No, she, no, she didn't have an episode with Price um, in this episode. Um, she had, uh, she was at her cubicle and um, trying to broker the deal um, with between Bloomberg and CNBC and dealing with the um, the women, the other women of Evil Corp, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, was, which was interesting to watch because we're always so used to seeing her deal with um, oppressive men and now also with oppressive women as well. Um, and then she also had the another scene with the lawyer um, that she was yeah. working with. So That um, scene with the, with the lawyer really hit me when Angela just told the lawyer that she was going to stay at Evil Corp and it was basically because they valued her. She mm-hmm. told, she's like, you don't value me, but they value me. And I can totally understand that point of view, um, that you're going to stay with someone who makes you feel good about yourself, even if it hurts you. Huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, watching Angela to see what's happened to her in the span of a month, um, from when she first started at Evil Club to now, I mean, what she did with all the 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 affirmations that she has to tell herself. I mean, I I mean, I I would not know if there was any other way to actually cope with being in that type of environment because mm-hmm. upon learning that she's going to be going into that environment, a lot of people will be a lot of people in general are quick to write Angela off and I mean I'm always defending my girl Angela I'm like come on don't write her off you know like Angela is one of the ones that you have to watch out for you know it's always um you know like she's got something up her sleeve and you think you know you think you have her pegged as oh this this pushover and it's like yeah no she's not um just wait you know she'll surprise you with that um 
but yeah, but that those affirmations, that brainwashing, that essentially being dead inside, I think that that has, I think she had to do that. That was really the only mm-hmm. way I think to survive in that type of environment because, I mean, this is essentially a, a place that doesn't have a heart. I mean, they've had all these lawsuits where people died as a result of, oh, a decision that was made over shrimp and cocktails. Um, Basically. So, yeah, I mean, she basically had to become the beast in order to survive in that hellhole. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, again, it's, it's, but again, as a viewer, it's almost torturous to watch her go through that because, you know, you want – I mean, and Angela still also has that element to her where you want to save her, but at the same time it's like, nope, don't save her because she doesn't want anybody to save her. She wants to be the one – you know, she gets into a certain situation – she wants to be the one to figure out how to get out of it. So it's like, a, well, as a viewer, we can only do so much. So it's like, all right, let's just sit back and watch Angela do her thing and just see how is she going to come out of this. Yeah, I mean, you have to consider, you know, in this month, because um, I think when we were, when we read The Red Wheelbarrow, I listened to it, Elliot isn't talking to Angela. He hasn't been mm-hmm. talking to Angela since he's been away. And I think that that relationship with with Elliot and herself is something that's important to her. So she's lost that. Um, You know, there was all this stuff with her dad in season one, this failed lawsuit, um, another disappointment. And even, you know, with all the stuff that Darlene has been up to, how much time are they spending with each other? And then she had that horrible boyfriend, Ollie, in season one. So she's just been kind of, you know, betrayed and let down by people. So you can kind of, I can kind of relate to her wanting to feel important and feel um, valued. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, the the part in the episode when she's in the bar and after the lawyer leaves, that guy comes up to her and basically says, are you here alone? And that was enough for her to just kind of fall into bed with him. Like that's like the worst pickup line possible but it worked and it just kind of tells you where Angela is in her psyche right now but you know I, I'm kind of with you Akira I like Angela I continue to root for her and um, you know I enjoy watching her I like it two thumbs up um, the last the last thing we have in this episode is we get our first introduction into Dom and we see her at the um, grocery store conversing with a gentleman and the first scene the first time I saw that scene I was like oh she's really friendly she's you know being very respectful to this gentleman but now that I'm watching it for a second time I felt more like she's interrogating him she's like low-key interrogating this guy um and it was really kind of our first introduction to how smart Dom is and Mm -hmm. how um, together she is although when she's alone she doesn't present that way but she really is aware of everything Um, what did you think the first time you saw Dom Southern Cynic first time I saw her I I got the sense that yeah she's she's going to break all of this down rather quickly but then I felt like we were kind of kindred spirits watching her being alone. Mm-hmm. Like I think we've all 
at those feelings that she's going through. It's a, with her, it's a little bit more intense, you know. Mm-hmm. Everything is more intense with Dom. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I The interrogation scene with um, with Gideon, was that yeah. the episode? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. I, you could tell that she was going to come down on top of society really hard, really fast. And she does interrogate everybody. I'm glad you pointed that out. It's, it's with anybody she's talking to, you can tell that she's gathering information. Um, mm-hmm. How she read, um, I forget, like Rose persona, everything just left my brain. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, when they go, yeah. Mm-hmm. When she at yeah. the embassy. Yeah, how she yeah. reads him so quickly, you know, and she's telling her coworker, yeah, he doesn't have a sister, you know. She she's on the up and up, but I love Dom, but I I just have this fear of what's gonna happen to her in season three. Mm-hmm. A little later. Yeah, what did you think, Akira? With Dom, um, I mean, upon learning that the FBI was going to be coming into this uh, season, it was just like, okay, it's only a matter of time. I mean, I'm just wondering, all right, how long can they evade the authorities, pretty much? Mm -hmm. And uh, with Dom, definitely with that scene, getting an idea of how she works and she, you know, coming up with that real, very personable, personable approach, that person that you can just kick back and talk to. But then again, at the same time, you might not want to because you'll end up telling things that you may not want to. And um, and then also with that scene at the um, bodega um, with the guy telling her to hurry up and everything, and then she starts speaking um, in, the, in the foreign language um, that only she and the, uh, the owner can understand, noticing that she said dickhead. And I'm like, all yeah. right. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Um, you know, in most cases with, with you know, not with women in the show calling men dickheads, but um, but of course knowing that when we first hear, more or less hear Darlene speak, and of course her referencing to Elliot, dickhead, um, yeah, I was like, all right, is this something I want to read into a little bit more <laughs> or just let it go? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Dom. Yeah, Dom is one you wanna you wanna have your guard up because she can definitely oh. break you down. Yeah, and you won't yeah. even know it. Like she's mm-hmm. asking the guy, she's like, "Oh, I haven't seen your wife for a while. Where is she? Oh, your daughter's sick. What's her name? Oh, Sally. Is that a traditional Pakistani name?" I'm like, "Wow, she is really digging into this dude, and she's just mm-hmm. buying a turkey sandwich." She invades yeah. your personal space, too. She doesn't care about that. She's going to come through the door. She doesn't care mm-hmm. about an invite, you know. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But so I have a question for you ladies. Who do you think is more lonely, Angela or Dom? Akira, who's more lonely? <sighs> oh, that is a good question. I mean, you got Angela basically saying her affirmations to herself. Um, then you have Dom asking Alexa if she loves, if Alexa, do you love me? Um, wow. Between the two of them, which one is more lonely? Um, I probably want to give this one to Angela, I guess, because 
I would say with Angela, you know, she had these connections, you know, physical connections to people, these face-to-face connections, and then now she's in a situation where they're all gone. And, mm. yeah, I mean, I mean, that's pretty daunting to have people that are basically like family to you and then have them not be around anymore um, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, with Dom, I mean, we're still trying to figure her out, so we're like, yeah, we learn eventually that there was a fiance, but um, you know, Dom, Dom basically, I think, um, makes up for it, I guess, with the work. I guess for her, work is her companion throughout the day or throughout her life. Um, so yeah, I would give this one to Angela. You know. Okay, what do you think, Southern Cynic, um, Angela or Dom? Most lonely. Um. I guess I'm going to have to counter off of Kira and just say Dom. I mean, while Angela had all these connections that we could see, who do we see Dom having a connection with at all, except for these people that she mentioned in passing? Um, Mm -hmm. Alexa is her friend, as far as we know. And Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I've done it too. I have conversations with Siri. When it gets a little <laughs> I can understand where Tom is coming from, you know. And mm-hmm. he's definitely to compensate for all of that. But it's, you can see when she's by herself, it's not enough. She can't even get rest, you know. She can't even get to sleep without just staring into the, into the abyss and, and, and wondering about her life. You know, I'm worried mm-hmm. about Tom. It She just seems like she is going to come to some kind of, breaking point and I don't know where that's going to lead for her mm, season three it's going to be great I am not going to make a decision <laughs> I know I asked the question <laughs> but I'm not going to answer it because I I'm I'm torn about both and you both make great points so um we'll put that out to the Twitterverse you guys tweet us at unmasked podcast and let us know who do you think is lonelier Angela or Dom I'm interested. Maybe we'll put a poll up tomorrow and you guys can let us know who do you think is more lonely. Um, Let's talk about season three. We've talked a lot about what we hope for season three, what we think might happen. And um, I shared an article with you guys and I, and I put a tweet out there last week. Um, Some of the things that, that we heard um, Christian Slater said that season three is going to be like a swift kick in the nuts. Um, which is very strong language. Um, He also said that season three is going to be an all-out rampage on your mind. I personally don't know if I'm prepared for that because I already feel like I've been there with season one and season two, and I don't know if I am prepared for an all-out rampage on my mind. Ladies, what are your thoughts on that? I I don't know if I can handle too much more. I mean, <laughs> the first season blew my mind away. The second season took those ashes and scattered them. So what else is left for you guys to do, you know? I, I just resolved to sit back and enjoy it, whatever Sam in USA decides to package for me and deliver to me. I'm going to accept it. And if it ruins my life, I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> Okay. You're prepared. You're prepared to be ruined. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Akira, what about you? 
Oh, man. It's a season three. Um, I think that theme, disintegration, is not just going to be the theme for the characters. I think it'll probably carry on over to the audience as well as our minds continue to disintegrate as we continue to watch the story uh, play out. Um, I mean, I am curious to see which questions we're going to get answers for, what Mm -hmm. new questions will pop up as a result of what we see in season three. Um, Basically, from what I've read also, it seems like a lot of, like most of the characters are going to be put through, yeah, they're just going to be put through it. And, you know, Angela was, uh, Portia Doubleday was saying that this is probably going to be, that this thus far is going to be the toughest season on her character mm-hmm. so um yeah i mean i know a lot of people are like oh come on like can't you spare them a little bit but i, mean, I don't want as them much spared. As you, as, i don't want them right. spared at all as much as you <laughs> might want to ask that i'm like no like in the world of mr robot no don't spare anybody um mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. i mean but i'm ready for it well i'm I'm about as ready as i can be <laughs> well i'm, <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll because, be, I'll, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just say you know, I'll be as ready as I can be, ready to just sit down, um, live tweet, um, of course, during commercial breaks, because, you know, anytime that the show is on, I'm like, okay, phone away, laptop away. You know, the show has my undivided attention until commercial breaks. It'll be like, did y'all see that? Um, I know. <laughs> but, like, this yeah. is the only series that makes me, like, yell out loud like I'm screaming mm-hmm. almost every episode at some point I'm screaming oh in my case I I get up and I have to pace my I have to pace around the room that's what I have to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always me getting up and pacing I'm like it's it, it's become a habit I think ever since one of the first big reveals in season one when I'm like standing up from the couch like what you exactly. Know, we're there, and then I just start talking, you know, pacing during commercial break, and I'm like, okay. And then also sometimes just standing, I just can't even. Sometimes I can't even sit when I'm watching the show after I'm pacing. I just have to stand and watch the show. I know, I know, it's a bit much, but I, yeah. we, we will be here for it. Um, there yeah. was some casting news. Um, Bobby Cannavale is joining the cast, so I think that will be good. They said he's going to be a. Um, Used car salesman. Mm-hmm. Don't know how that's going to fit, but I bet it will be like the perfect puzzle piece we didn't know we needed. Um, and also, BD Wong is going to be up to a series regular, so I am excited for the fact that we are going to get even more White Rose. And BD Wong, is he? How more hilarious can he be on Twitter? Like, I love him. He is hilarious. I love the interplay that we saw with him um, last season with um, Black Girl Nerds. He's just, he's such a great character. And I'm glad we're going to see more of him. Any other thoughts, ladies? Because we are at the end of our time. Uh, Excellent casting choices. Um, I mean, Sam just continues to bring in uh, just these powerhouses, and I just cannot wait to see what is going to come out of it. Um, I mean, again, it'll be more pacing, more standing up, more standing in front of my TV watching. But mm-hmm. yes, just bring it, just bring it. In October, of course, yes, just bring it. <laughs> <So far. laughs> 
bring it hard. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you have spent another hour with the Unmasked Podcast, and we thank you for your time. This is at C. Talene, and you can find me on Twitter at C-T-A-L-L-E-E-N. Um, you can find this podcast at Unmasked Podcast. Um, just to remember that we are part of the Brothers Comics family of podcasts, so you can find us through them. Um, Southern Cynic, why don't you sign off for us and tell them where they can find you? You can find me on the Twitters at Southern Cynic. And you can also find us again at the Unmasked Podcast. Just hit it through the search. Uh, Let us know what you think. Send us your comments, your questions, and we'll get on that. All right. Akira, why don't you sign off for us and tell them where they can find you. All right. You can find me at um, HelloFriendH3LL0FRI3ND1 on Twitter. Uh, not so much on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty much like Elliot, just like I cannot with Facebook. Um, but, I mean, I will post once in a blue moon on Facebook. But, yeah, mostly on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, feel free to reach out, talk, whatever. Yeah, I'm there. Sounds good. And we also would like to highlight, we're trying to highlight a different podcast every episode and this episode, we would like to highlight the Lemonade Show, which is hosted by the lovely Steph I Will. So you can find her podcast at Lemonade Show, and you can find that streaming on SoundCloud. You can find um, Steph I Will on the Twitterverse as well. And the Lemonade Show is hosted by Steph, and it is a commentary on the nerd world. So if you are looking for a brand-new podcast, please check out the Lemonade Show. We will see you next week where we will be talking about episode three. And we are so happy that you decided to join us. Good night. Hey, this is Steph Firewell. Join me by weekly at The Lemonade for all things nerdy and geeky, giving you all the sweet and sour notes from the nerd world, as well as my own special commentary to make this blend lemonade just right. Follow The Lemonade at Audio Boom, SoundCloud, High Bean at the Points of Interest Network, and I'll see you guys soon.